Okay, just start the recording. Okay, so hi, I'm Keenan. Um, we are gonna get started, so we're gonna um, start off by, I'm gonna do like a little teaching, and then we'll have a time of discussion, and then there'll be some worship and communion. We'll kind of go over some announcements, and then at the very end, we'll do prayer circles where we just kind of talk about what's going on in our weeks. Um, so, I'm going to start off today by, um, we're going we're gonna to talk about Holy Week today, so that's like Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, because today's Palm Sunday, and I'm going to kind of go through all the details and like some of the history behind all of the different dates in the week and like what we celebrate in each day, but I wanted to start off with some like Easter childhood stories and also like the history of Easter. So, um, so when I was <laughs> when I was a kid, so growing up, so I'm the I'm the oldest of five, and uh, we were very imaginative children. Um, I'm gonna tell that story in a second, but first, so like growing up for Holy Week, my parents had a set of they were called like resurrection eggs. Uh, <laughs> And they were like, so what it was is like a little, um, like all the little plastic eggs that you would get for Easter that you would hide candy in, but there was no candy in them. It was like the first, the first day had like a little like palm branch in it. And then like the second egg had like, so it was like all these things that were like supposed to tell like the story of like Holy Week. So there's, so there's like a little like robe in one of them and like a little wine cup. And like, so it's like supposed to tell all that. So growing up, that was kind of my like, understanding of the Holy Week was these little plastic uh, resurrection eggs. So I'm going to, I will kind of go into more detail about what all of those things are, but more specifically, I wanted to share a funny story. So when I was young, well, when we were younger, I mean, I'm still really dramatic and theatrical, but we would, we were very imaginative and we would put on plays for my parents, and that's pretty much what we did. And I definitely recall um, every year we reenacted like the Easter story and one year it got very detailed and we actually wound up building a cross in our backyard and um, we crucified my little brother on it <laughs> so he um, we tied him to this little like this wooden cross we built in the backyard in his like Spider-Man underwear and like reenacted the like <laughs> and uh, I look back on it, and like it was really funny, and I didn't really think of it as being that weird at the time, but now I'm like, if my neighbors like started building a cross in their backyard, and were like pretending to like crucify this little boy, like that would be, I'd be like, who is raising those children? Um, so that's kind of my like experience with Easter as a child. Um, it was very theatrical and probably really inappropriate. Um, I wanted to I wanted to talk about. Uh, before I get into like the story of Holy Week, I want to talk about some of the history of Easter. Um, okay, so you have to remember at the time that Christianity was spreading, uh, there were most of the most of the world was not monotheistic. So monotheistic means like having one deity. So a lot of the areas where Christianity started to spread, there were multiple gods, um, and so. Christianity kind of had to adapt to that situation 
And instead of like just saying, well, yeah, we believe in multiple gods, we kind of adapted and we're like, well, instead of having gods, Romans, let's instead have all these saints who were previous. So that's kind of where some of that like adaptation comes into play. Um, but as Christianity was spreading and becoming more popular, it had to fall into what was kind of like the normal holidays of those people groups. And that's kind of how Easter wound up where it is. Um, we'll start off with like the very early origins of Easter have to do with uh, Pasha is the, is the word. And I hope I'm saying that right. That's what it looks like it sounds like. Uh, so Pasha was the Passover feast. Um, Passover is, takes place in like the Old Testament. It's the story of the Israelites being led out of Egypt. There's the ten plagues. The last of the plagues being... Um, like the spirit of death comes into Egypt and it wipes out all the firstborn children, which seems like a really awful reason to have a celebration. But what Passover represents is the Israelites took, they sacrificed the blood of a lamb and they put it on the doorposts and anywhere that had the blood of the lamb covering it, the spirit of death like passed over. So every year there was a celebration of like death passing over. And that's kind of where, and that was like, that was pre-Jesus. So like in Jesus' time, he was going into Jerusalem to celebrate this festival of Passover. So that's where um, Pasha comes into play. Well, as Christianity expands and goes further like north into Europe, um, in the 8th century, there was a celebration to a uh, Saxon goddess called, and I'm totally not going to say this right, but Yastre kind of looks like, but that's where we get the word Easter. So the Saxon goddess of spring, there was a celebration that would occur at the same time that Passover was kind of occurring. So when Christianity was becoming English, they were like, well, let's maybe adapt it to this holiday. And so Easter was kind of like the celebration of uh, new life, uh, the celebration of fertility, the celebration of uh, new things coming into being. And it's several hundred years later, and we still have some of those symbols like side by side with the cross. That's why we have like rabbits and eggs and things like that because the fertility like celebration that already existed pre-Christianity kind of got the cross like laid over the top and we're like, well, let's make this new life celebration about Jesus. So that's why like when you go to Target, there's still like rabbits and eggs because it comes from this other like pagan uh, concept. So... Um, now that I'm kind of, that was really just a rabbit trail, uh, literally, um, because <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to cover that just because I thought it was really fascinating, and um, it really has nothing to do with the rest of my message, but I wanted everyone who was here on time to have something interesting to take away. So um, kind of going forward, um, the message will be much more serious probably, and I'm going to talk about all the events of the Holy Week. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray right now and then kind of get into the the meat of the message. Um, Jesus, I ask that you would bring us peace, that you would give me peace, that you would help me to illustrate this story the way you would want it illustrated. I pray that you would help me to not fumble over my words or to uh, jump ahead. Um, I pray that you would uh, show through in this story. In your name, amen. And I should grab some water, but I totally didn't. So, Thank you. So the, the first Sunday of Holy Week uh, is referred to as Palm Sunday. And I'm going to kind of go through like day by day, like what the, 
like what everything has to do with them. Some of them don't really like have names because they kind of just group them together. Um, they have like, I'll get into that. So Palm Sunday is, sorry, I gotta skip ahead in my notes. So Palm Sunday is the first day of Holy Week and it focuses on the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. So what happens according to like how we group everything together, the day before Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So that's kind of that's what supposedly happens on Saturday. And then Sunday is when we have Palm Sunday. So that's Jesus travels with his disciples essentially into Jerusalem to celebrate Pascha or Passover. Um, <laughs> and the the way that he enters the city is kind of different than what people expect him to do. Because as we have talked about kind of in previous weeks, the people were looking for a Messiah, so a what they thought was going to be like a political ruler to come and free uh, Jerusalem and the Jews from Roman oppression. And this entry, thank you, this entry of Jesus into Jerusalem had all the potential to be a uh, political fanfare, but the way that Jesus enters Jerusalem is not how a political figure would have. So, like, at the time, if you were, like, a person of power, you would have rode into town on a horse, and people would know, like, that's a war hero, that's a king, that's, like, an important person. But Jesus instead rides into town on a donkey, and the donkey at that time was a symbol of peace, not of war. So what Jesus was kind of doing in that moment, it wasn't a profession of like, I'm coming to change your laws, it was I'm coming to bring peace. So he comes riding in on a donkey, and all these people lay down their cloaks in front of him and lay down palm branches, and that's where we get the term Palm Sunday, because people are covering the path that Jesus is walking on. And the reason that people are covering that path, uh, the significance of that moment, it's kind of, it's still kind of applicable today. So like, you know when someone, like the term roll out the red carpet, it's kind of similar to that. Like when an important person is coming, uh, or even an important political figure, or a king, we cover the ground that they're, that they're walking on. So we're kind of separating them from, kind of putting them above us. Um, so Jesus comes into town riding on a donkey, and it's supposed to be a moment of peace, and all of these people are still proclaiming him to be like their king and, his, and like their political ruler by putting these palm leaves on the ground and their cloaks to say, this is our king, um, is literally kind of what they're saying to the Romans. Um, and they sing, a, I think they sing from the Psalms at that moment too. Uh, but what's really crazy is only five days later, the same crowd of people that are welcoming the person that they think are going to be like the leader that changes everything, they wind up, you know, crying for his death only five days later. Uh, and we'll get to that. But that's, when we talk about Psalm Sunday, what we're talking about is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The next couple days, um, and I'll try to go back a slide, the next couple days don't have like specific names, but they do have um, kind of stories that are talked about. So Holy Monday, obviously the day after Palm Sunday, um, what story gets brought up a lot is Jesus is in Jerusalem and he sees a 
tree that is not producing fruit, and he curses it. Um, the kind of significance behind that is it's supposed to, like, from theologically what I understand of it is it's supposed to symbolize a world which was produced, which was meant to create for God, was meant to bear fruit for God, was meant to uh, um, be productive, and Jesus winds up cursing the tree that no longer um, is bringing forth good production or bringing forth good fruit. Um, I don't know what else he did on Monday. There's really not that much like talk about it, but that's kind of what Monday focuses on. Tuesday is talked about uh, as being the day where Jesus cleanses the temple. So Jesus goes to the temple and uh, he finds that there are people who have set up like the sale of animals for sacrifice. He finds that you know, people are on their way to the temple, they're going to make a sacrifice as part of the Passover tradition, and some people have turned it into an enterprise. An enterprise. So it's, it's supposed to be a, you are bringing something that is from your crop, from your, um, kind of your family, and what they've turned it into is just come buy this dove, um, we'll take your money, you'll have a really good sacrifice, but if you put your money down on this, then you'll probably be right with God. And Jesus shows up. He's like, that's not okay. He literally, like, flips the tables. And there's all these, like, awesome paintings of, like, Jesus with a whip and, like, clearing out the temple. Um, it's, like, really intense but kind of awesome. Uh, but in that moment, it symbolizes that, like, our, our salvation is not bought. Like, the, mankind cannot buy his own salvation. And Jesus in that moment is like, you're not buying your salvation. Like, that's not, you're not going to turn... Uh, the religion of my father into an enterprise. You're not going to make money off of other people's damnation. That's not going to be acceptable. Uh, and uh, that kind of starts even more of the wheels turning of the religious leaders of the time, because they're like, we do not like this guy coming into our temple, flipping our tables, and we don't like everything that he represents. And that kind of gets the gears turning even more to what happens towards the end of the week. Um, Wednesday of Holy Week is known as Spy Wednesday, and there's a reason for that. So on Wednesday, Jesus is with friends, and a woman comes in. Uh, it's usually attributed to Mary Magdalene, uh, but a woman comes in, and she has this jar of perfume that is very expensive. It should have, it's like a year's worth of wages, and what she does is she breaks the jar on Jesus' feet, and then washes his feet with her hair in this perfume, um, which would have been incredibly improper for a woman to do. And um, in spite of all the scandal of it, Jesus sees it as like as worship. And Judas, being the charmer that he is, is like, well, all that money should have gone to the poor people. Like, why, why would, why would you allow this to be? Like, shouldn't isn't your message that it should, it should be helping? We should be helping the poor. And he's like, yes, but do you realize, like, the significance of this gift? Like, this woman is bringing everything to me. Like, she is sacrificing, like, a whole year's worth of work just to honor me. Um, and Judas is not really okay with it. He's kind of portrayed as kind of money-hungry. Uh, and instead of being focused on giving the money to the poor, he's upset that all that money was wasted. 
And ironically, a day later, he basically sells out Jesus for money. Um, so it's called Spy Wednesday because the idea is on Wednesday when Judas sees all of this transpire, that's when the gears start turning and he's like, well, I'm going to make some extra money and I'm going to turn in Jesus and that's how it's going to go down. Um, so that's why it's referred to as Spy Monday, sorry, Wednesday. Uh, the next day of Holy Week, I'm going to focus on the last two days probably the most um, the next one being Maundy Thursday, um, and I'll kind of talk about what Maundy means. Um, Maundy comes from, it's an old English and French uh, from Latin, so it has to do with the word mandate. So if you kind of look on the screen, so Maundy uh, comes from Latin mandatum, uh, so mandate. So Maundy Thursday is talking about, if we were to translate Maundy, it'd be like saying Commandment Thursday. Um, what takes place on Commandment Thursday is known as the Last Supper. Uh, it's also where we start our concept of communion. Um, Jesus and his disciples meet for dinner on Thursday night. They go to the upper room of a home. Um, they're kind of in hiding a little bit because there seems to be a lot of political turmoil going around about Jesus being in the city. And so they kind of go to this private upper room and have dinner. And it's just Jesus and his disciples. And it's in this moment that we get a lot of our literature on, on who Jesus is and what he means. Because um, this is the moment where throughout all the Gospels, people are kind of hinting at, like, who is Jesus? Like, who is he really? What is his relation to God? What does, what does all these miracles, what do these signs mean? And Jesus in this moment when he is with his friends reveals, yes, I am the son of God. I am in the Father, the Father is in me. Um, and that's where, like, that intimate moment of Jesus saying, this is the first time that Jesus is like, I am the Son of God. That is who I am. And he reveals this the day before he is killed. Um, and so he reveals this to his, his close friends, his disciples, and he starts off this dinner by, it's, we read this in John, and a lot of the stuff I'm taking is from John, uh, because John, like, chapters, like, I think it's 13 to like 17 are all around Maundy Thursday and around this Last Supper and everything that Jesus says. And it starts off with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So they get to this dinner and Jesus is like, I'm going to wash all your feet. And Peter, who I sympathize with a lot because he's like very over the top with everything because he's like, well, you're not going to wash my feet. Like you're going to wash my whole body. And he's like, you don't, you don't get it. Like you need to just cool it. Like <laughs> he's like, what my... What I am doing is representing how my kingdom will be. It'll be a kingdom of servanthood. Um, so Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and then he sits them around the table, and he takes the bread and the wine, um, and that's where we get our concept of Eucharist. Um, and Eucharist is just a fancy word meaning Thanksgiving. Um, Eucharist comes from Greek, uh, Eucharista, and it means Thanksgiving. The... He takes the bread and the wine and he says, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. This wine is my blood, which was spilled for you. Whenever you partake of my body and partake of my blood, do this in remembrance of me. So what he's doing is he's starting to set the stage by saying, I'm going away. Uh, and when I'm gone, I want you to commemorate me. I want you to be a part of 
uh, this sacrifice that I am doing. And so every time you gather and you break bread and you're together, I want it to be that I'm part of this table. I'm in, I'm in on this. We're all in this together. Uh, what's super interesting in John is he... John doesn't actually include the Eucharist. So like the, the three synoptic gospels, so the gospels that are closely related to each other in story, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all include like the breaking of the bread and the wine. Uh, a lot of the later uh, books of the Bible uh, address the Eucharist, address the concept of the Last Supper. But in John, that doesn't actually occur. What's interesting in John is Jesus does break bread, but the first person that he gives bread to is Judas. And I, for some reason, found that super fascinating because the first concept of him saying, like, this is my broken body, this is my sacrifice, he gives it first to the one who's going to betray him. And Judas then takes it and leaves the house, and that's when he goes and uh, sells out Jesus to the Pharisees. There are some conversations that take place during this Last Supper that I kind of wanted to highlight some of the things that Jesus had to say, and I wanted to point out what exactly that commandment is. Because if we're calling it Commandment Thursday, Maundy Thursday, then we should know, like, what is this commandment that Jesus talks about at the Last Supper? Um, so I'm going to read several parts out of John um, just to kind of illustrate what the conversation looked like. So remember, Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, and he's just told them, yes, I'm the Son of God, uh, all the rumors are true, like that is what, that is who I am. I am in the Father, the Father is in me. And he talks about, I'm going, one of you is going to betray me and I'm going to leave you. But he starts by saying, so I give you a new command. Love each other deeply and fully. Remember the ways that I have loved you and demonstrate your love for others in those same way. Everyone will know you as my followers if you demonstrate your love for others. Um, all the disciples then are like, well, where are you going? Why can't we go with you? And of course, Peter's like, I'm going to go with you. And, and Jesus is like, no, like, you're not. You can't, you can't drink the same cup that I'm drinking from. And he basically tells him, I'm going to have to lay down my life. And Peter's like, well, I'm going to too. And he's like, actually, you're going to deny me three times. <laughs> and uh, um, so he goes on. So they're all kind of freaking out because they're like, there's all this political turmoil going around, and Jesus is like, well, yeah, I'm the son of God, but I'm going away now. So you guys have to love each other as if I loved you, because I'm going to be gone. And he says, don't get lost in despair. Believe in God and keep on believing in me. My father's home is designed to accommodate all of you. If there were not room for everyone, would I, have I would have told you that. I'm going to make arrangements for your arrival. I will be coming there to greet you personally and welcome you home, where we will be together. You know where I am going and how to get there. And then Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we find the path? And Jesus answers, I am the path. I am the truth. I am the energy of life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you know the Father. Rest assured now, you know him and you have seen him. And the disciples are like, well, we've lived with you all this time. Like, what are you talking about? Um, so literally there's like, it's just pages and pages of this dialogue of like Jesus being like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And they're like, but what, what? And I was talking with Shelly about this, and she was like, well, yeah, think about it. Like if you were following around this guy who was performing miracles, and you're getting like, you get into this big city where he comes and everyone thinks he's the king, but then there's all this political turmoil, 
and you had to go hide in this room and have dinner with him, and he's like, by the way, I'm the son of God. You would kind of be like, what though? Like, can we, can we just kind of, can you break that down a little bit for us? Because we're a little confused, because you're human. Like, what? So, um, so a lot of, a lot of these passages in John are kind of Jesus laying out his plan and his, his like, this is going to be my kingdom on earth. It's going to be motivated by love. It's going to be motivated by servanthood. And they're like, they're not even really wrapping their concept. They can't like think of the concept because they're too thrown off by like, what did you just tell us? Um, which is okay because eventually they all figure it out later. But in that moment, there's a lot of confusion um, and I'm going to, before I go on to like what happens after that, he reiterates it multiple times. So he says again later in John, my commandment to you is this, love others as I have loved you. There is no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. Um, and he says this because he, hours later, will be uh, captured. Um, I'm going to go into more details about the the last evening and the last day of Jesus. Um, and I'll try to not jump around too much, but um, after this Monday, uh, Thursday, this last supper where Jesus says, this is my new commandment, you have to love one another. They take a walk and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and um, Jesus prays there and all the disciples fall asleep because why wouldn't they? And um, what happens is Jesus is praying, and in this moment, he, he's crying out to God, and he is asking, is this, is this really the only way? Is this how it has to be? Um, is, there, is there another way that this sacrifice can be made? Do I, does this suffering have to come through me? Um, and as he's, he's praying, Judas shows up again uh, with some of the, um, basically, the like, police of the Sanhedrin, who are the religious leaders. Um, and he shows up and he kisses Jesus and betrays him with a kiss. Um, a kiss at the time was a normal gesture of greeting. Um, so what he tells him is, arrest the one that I kiss. And so Judas goes to Jesus. He now has 30 um, coins of silver and kisses Jesus on both cheeks. And Jesus is arrested in that moment. Um, there's also some of the Gospels tell a story of um, Peter then chopping off the ear of this soldier, and Jesus is like, no, like, that, like put your sword away. Um, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He picks up the guy's ear and like puts it back on, and it's good to go. Um, the, so Jesus is arrested, and he is brought before the Sanhedrin. Uh, well, the Sanhedrin were, were like the... Uh, trying to think of like what would be, I don't want to be mean. Um, it, was a, it was a group of selected religious leaders who basically kind of controlled what the laws of, how we were going to interpret the laws of Moses, the laws of everything. And Jesus is brought before them and questioned. And this is where he makes his first public statement of saying, yes, I am the king of the Jews. I am the son of God. And they're like, you're a blasphemer. Like, you, you have to be executed. This is not acceptable for you to say those sorts of things. And the problem at the time is that they were, in Jerusalem was controlled by the Romans. So they had no means of executing the law for themselves. So they had no way of being like, well, let's just kill him right now. So they had to bring him before the Roman government. 
So they brought him before uh, the man known as Pontius Pilate, uh, who was like a Roman judge. And Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate was like, I'm not going to get involved in this political scandal. Um, you guys have to deal with it in your own way. I'm going to send him away. He's got to go talk to Herod. So Jesus is taken then from Pilate and brought before Herod. This is not the same Herod that tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby in the beginning of the Bible story. Herod is a title. Um, I can't. I looked it up, but I can't remember. It's something with an A. The guy. It was Herod Antiqua or something. So this Herod that he's brought before is not the king of the Jews, but kind of as close to that as you can get. Um, so he's brought before Herod, and Herod is kind of excited to meet Jesus because he's heard about him. And he has all these questions for Jesus, and Jesus doesn't really answer any of them. And so Herod gets ticked and sends him back to Pilate. Um, so Jesus has been before the Sanhedrin on trial. He's been brought to Pilate. He's been brought back to Herod. Now he's going back to Pilate. He goes to Pilate, and Pilate's like, I really don't want to kill this guy. Like, I don't want to get involved in this. Why don't we compromise? Why don't you beat him within an inch of his life? And they're like, we can start there. And so Jesus is whipped with a cat of nine tails, um, which is a, a whip that has shards of glass and nails and things like that in there. And he, um, kind of the myth, I don't know if it's mythology or fact, but kind of the story around the cat of nine tails is that if you are whipped with it 40 times, you will die. Like you cannot, you cannot survive 49 lashes. Um, and so instead of killing Jesus, they whip him 39 times. Um, and to further the mockery, they, the Romans create a crown out of thorns, and they force it on his head. They cover him in a purple cloth, and they say, this is your king of the Jews. And they bring him back before the crowd. And Pilate is thinking, well, this should be good enough. Like, we've, like he's in his place. We've, we've beaten this man down. And so he brings Jesus back before the crowd, and the crowd is like, no, that's not enough. He still needs to be, he needs to be executed. We can't allow this. And Pilate comes up with another solution. He's like, well, this is your time of Pasha, the time of Passover. It's your celebration. We should, we should, I think we owe you a criminal. Like, you're allowed to free one criminal. So why don't we see if you want to release Jesus or if you want to release this guy? And they bring out, um, <laughs> so I only can think of how, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, but like how they say it is how I always say the name in my head. So Barabbas. Um, so they bring out this other man, Barabbas, and he is known as being a rapist and a murderer. So Pilate's like, let me bring like literally the worst person I can possibly think of, and let's put both of them on trial, and you guys get to choose who gets to go free and who gets to die. And again, the crowd chooses Barabbas to be free, and so Jesus is then, at that time, sentenced to death. Um, Pontius Pilate, in that moment, washes his hands of the situation, um, and that's actually where a lot of times where people are like, I wash my hands of this. That comes from Pontius Pilate. He has like a bowl brought to him. He washes his hands. He's like, I'm, this man's blood's not on my hands. Like, I'm not dealing with this. And uh, the crucifixion of Jesus begins. Um, he was made to carry a cross. And I did some research this week on kind of how crucifixion works or what the methods are and all that stuff. But the... Um, it's estimated that the cross could have weighed anywhere between like 100 and 300 pounds, um, kind of depending on 
was it the complete cross? Was it just the beam? Uh, it was normal for the, the ones who were going to be executed to have to carry their own beam that they would be nailed to. Um, so we don't really know exactly what sort of, if it was like that T-shape, if it was just the, you know, just the, the bar that he would be on. But he was forced to carry it outside of the city uh, to a place called Golgotha, uh, which is the place of the skull. Uh, it's a hill outside of Jerusalem that literally looks like a skull cap. Um, and it's said to be the burial place of Adam, according to tradition. But so he is brought out to Golgotha, um, and that's where he is nailed to the cross. Um, the, the way that people died when they're crucified kind of depended, um, but the most common cause of death from crucifixion was asphyxiation. Um, because kind of how it works is when your arms are spread that far apart and nailed into place, um, your chest muscles are, are stretched, um, and with all that weight kind of on there, you have difficulty breathing. That's also why they nailed the feet down. Um, so you had to like literally force yourself to breathe. Um, and it's through that, that you, you know, you tried to breathe as long as you could, um, but eventually it was just general exhaustion that wound up, you couldn't, you could no longer push up to breathe um, and usually died within minutes. Um, they would, it was pretty common if things were taking too long, it could take days, but if, if they felt like things were taking too long, they would break the knees, that way you could no longer like try to push up to breathe. Um, but in, in Christ's crucifixion, they don't break his knees, um, but they do want to hurry things up because uh, the next day is going to be the Sabbath day and they want this mess kind of cleaned up so they can continue on with their uh, holy celebration. So they, um, the, the two thieves on either side of Jesus, they get their knees broken to kind of end the process. Um, but they believe that Jesus is already dead. And so instead of breaking his knees, they uh, put a spear in his side. Um, and part of that has to do, part of the telling of that story has to do with, there's a series of events leading from throughout all of Holy Week that are talked about earlier in the Bible, prophetically, like in Isaiah and other books. Um, it kind of talks about Jesus fitting the mold of this Messiah. And one of the things is that his body is never going to be broken. So they don't, his knees are not broken. And that's part of fulfilling that prophecy of, yes, this is actually the Son of God. This is who he prophesied about. Um, as far as Jesus' last words, it depends on which gospel you read. Um, some of them have, some of the tellings of the story have Jesus calling out to God and saying, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? And the kind of theory behind that is, at that moment, Jesus on the cross took on the whole weight of the sin of the world, um, and God could not look at him and turned his back on him. The Gospel of John, um, which tends to be the most theological of the Gospels, um, has Jesus crying out, it is finished before his death, um, meaning that the task is complete, the suffering is done, the price is paid. After Jesus' death, um, it's also said that the Roman officer who was standing at the foot of the cross said, surely this was the Son of God. Um, He's, he's pulled down from the cross, and he is laid to rest in Joseph of Arimathea's grave, 
Um, Joseph was a rich man who basically donated his uh, tomb so that Jesus could be laid down in it. Uh, as bleak as this is, that's kind of where I'm going to end today. Um, the reason for that being, I, I think that we do a really good job of celebrating Easter Sunday, um, and I want us to be able to celebrate Easter Sunday next week. I want us to be able to celebrate the resurrection, but I think we, a lot of times we don't talk about everything that happened like before. Like there's a lot, like there's a lot of story there that is pretty crucial to our faith. And I think what's nice is some churches um, have the capability of meeting multiple times during Holy Week and you can dedicate time to like, this is what happened at the crucifixion. This is what happened at the Last Supper. We don't necessarily have that opportunity for us all to get together. So I wanted to, to say, here's everything leading up to Easter. Here's like the story before the resurrection. Here's everything that happened before the tomb was cracked open. Um, and I wanted to talk about it because I can't remember the last time I really thought about all of it or really thought about all the details of everything leading up to it. Um, I kind of encourage you this week to, to read uh, John 13 through 20. That's, that's kind of summarizes Holy Week. It's got Jesus riding into Jerusalem through the crucifixion and then the resurrection. Um, if you can make time this week to kind of think about it, it's a really good way to focus on, like, we're going into Easter, we're not celebrating bunnies and eggs, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, I think it would just be a good focusing um, kind of practice. Because when we come next week, I want us, we're ending on a sad note today, but I want us next week to be able to celebrate with vitality, like, what the message of the cross is, what that sacrifice meant, and what the resurrection means to us as Christians. Um, I'm going to end in prayer now. Uh, Jesus, we, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you for what that meant in that time and what it, meant to, what it means to us now. Um, I ask that you would show us this week, that you would show us um, how to better understand the suffering you went through um, in order to help us better understand the depth of that sacrifice and the profound impact that it can have on us. I ask that you would bless us throughout this week and that you would uh, make yourself more known to us as we uh, come to know you. In your name, amen. I kind of wanted to have the discussion be... Um,